right before I'm supposed to preach. <laughs> I love this church. I love this place. I love each and every one of you. I love seeing cars in the parking lot and people smiling and coming in and praise the Lord. We may not be the biggest church, but God is in this place this morning. I know He's here. I can feel Him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and Andrew, if you have the recorder going back there, appreciate that and your help as always. Luke chapter 17, and as I said, the theme of the service this morning has been gratitude and a grateful heart, and the sermon will fit with that this morning. Let's go ahead and read, read beginning in verse number 5. We'll read through verse number 10, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get into the message and the simple thoughts that we have here this morning. Luke chapter 17 and verse number 5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? Will not rather, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself? And serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, which means I suppose not. Verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that I have been so blessed. As the song says, thank you for being so kind to us. But Lord, thank you that I have been blessed through the service this morning, just through being here and hearing the songs and seeing the faces of your people. Thank you for being such a good God to us. I pray that you would be with me now, that you would remove distractions from our mind, that you would forgive me of my sin, fill me with the Holy Spirit, help me without prejudice or agenda to look to the text that we may hear, thus saith the Lord. Help me now as I preach. Help our church as we listen. Thank you for all that you've done, and we thank you by faith for what you're going to do now in our midst. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Abraham Lincoln said this on the subject of gratitude. Even though he was president of the United States and a man held in great esteem, he said, do not kneel to me, that is not right. You must kneel to God only and thank Him for the liberty you will hereafter enjoy. The founding fathers said they would not bow to any king because they would have no king but King Jesus. Bob Jones Sr. once said, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. In other words, if we get to the place where the simple act of gratitude and thankfulness towards God for the abundant blessings He's poured on our life is gone, then we are pretty much hopeless. In George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation, he said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly implore Him for His protection and favor. The pilgrim Edward Winslow said, By the goodness of God, 
We are far from want. I think we could all say that this morning. By the goodness of God, we are far from being in a place of neglect, in a place of want, or in a place where we would be justified to complain. When someone has blessed you, even in a small thing, it's just sort of the expected, normal, polite thing to do to at least say thank you to them and acknowledge them for being a blessing. And when someone has done something great for us, To say thank you is just a normal, decent, expected, polite, socially acceptable thing to do because so little effort is required to simply look to a person, but most of all to look to God and just to remember to tell Him thank you for what you've given me because we could never truly pay Him back. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, the Bible starts talking about the signs of the last days, in verse number 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and in the middle of all these horrible sins, the Bible then lists unthankful and unholy. It's a sign of the last days that people will not be grateful to God for the blessings which He has poured out upon our world. I'm going to say some things about the text we read in the beginning when we get to the end of the message, but for now I want to launch right into the story and the miracle that happens right after that. If you're there in Luke chapter 17, we have a simple message this morning that's going to walk through this story. Luke chapter 17 in verse number 11. It says of Jesus, And it came to pass as He went through Jerusalem that He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as He entered into a certain village, there met Him ten lepers which stood afar off. Number one this morning we see in the story, the lepers. Leprosy was a horrible disease that plagued the days of Jesus. It came with a horrible cost. If you were to catch this contagious disease, not only would you physically have to go through a lot of pain, but socially and emotionally, it was a death sentence that separated you from normal society. Notice that it says in verse number 12 that the lepers stood afar off. They were not permitted to come near other people. Rather, they were condemned, almost cursed, to have to live as an outcast. And even when they came to Jesus asking for help, they had to stand afar off because their disease was contagious. And they couldn't interact with or come near other people. The word leprosy in the Greek at its root meaning, it means scaly. It was a disease that would affect the skin that could come from bacteria. And what the disease did is you would see outward manifestations on the skin of what was happening to your body, but it was a disease that would attack the nervous system. The symptoms that would follow would be disfigurement of the skin and bones. Over time, the limbs themselves would begin to twist and the fingers would begin to curl and you couldn't open your hand. Like the man that it says in the Bible that had the withered hand, that's what would happen to your body over time. It would lead to what you would call a claw hand, where someone is unable to open their hand and use it normally. It would oftentimes lead to some also attacking of the lungs, and a person who had had leprosy for a long time would speak in a raspy voice that did not sound normal because of this terrible disease that they had. Over time, it would lead to the thickening of the outer ear and even the collapsing 
of the nose. As I read a little bit this week about what leprosy really was, what they have discovered over time throughout modern day medicine and looking at this disease, which still exists today, it's called Hansen's disease, but what it does, as I said, is it attacks your nervous system and it leads to a loss of being able to feel pain or sensation throughout certain parts of your body. And now modern medicine, most people believe that that's what leads to all of those outward manifestations of it eventually, like the destruction of the skin and the curling up of the limbs and collapsing of the nose and all these things, is because if your body can't sense pain at all, it doesn't have any defense for that coming back and your body can't heal itself, but rather just continues to get damaged. And so they, they kind of think that that loss of being able to feel the sensation of pain is what causes the most damage. And horrifically, some people, they're such to the point where they could reach their hand in a pot of boiling water and not feel anything. They could reach into the fire and pick up the coals and their hand would be being destroyed by the fire, but they wouldn't feel any pain at all or even cases of rats gnawing on someone's finger throughout the night and they don't wake up and make it stop because they can't feel what is happening. As I said today, it's called Hansen's disease it's still around, but today we thankfully have a cure for this disease. But not back then. They did not have a cure. This disease was a nightmare, partially because it did not kill you right away. It rather just attacked your body and allowed it to deteriorate and break down over time. You could live with leprosy for 20 or 30 years with your body slowly decaying and your health slowly drifting away from you, living in this nightmarish state as an outcast from all of society. So it was bad physically, but also socially, it was a death sentence. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 13. As I've said before, you can always listen along as I read, or if you want to look on an electronic device to be able to keep up, that's up to you. But Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter number 13, part of this Old Testament law, and we're certainly not going to read all of this chapter. If you want to do that, you can do it a little bit later. It's not very pleasant, but God gave the job to the priest of the Israelites to be like the medical examiner and to determine if a person had leprosy or not and then directed them in what they had to do if they did have this disease, leprosy. Leviticus 13 and verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy, and the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. So as I said, I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but you would have to go to the priest, and if it was determined that you had leprosy, it would be like an official medical diagnosis that you would say you have leprosy, and you would be pronounced unclean. Let's look down at the very end of the chapter, Leviticus 13 and verse number 44. Leviticus 13, 44 through 46. He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent 
and his head bare. And he shall put a, co- put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, Unclean! Unclean! Verse 46, All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp, shall his habitation be you would go, you would be proclaimed a leper, and then this is what would happen to you. You'd have to tear your clothes. You'd have to bare your head and put a covering over your upper lip. You'd have to put a mask on. Not trying to get controversial here, but that's what the priest said you had to do. Because then you would have to go, and as you left, if there were people who came near to you, you would have to cry, unclean, unclean, so that they would know. You were a leper, and they shouldn't come anywhere near you. This disease was terribly contagious, and it was spread by airborne droplets. Therefore, with no cure in sight for these people, they were sentenced to be condemned to a life of isolation and loneliness without the camp, away from their family, away from their friends. And they could only go in groups with people who already had this disease of leprosy. And surely, just as it attacked their bodies over time, so too it attacked their emotions and their soul to have to live this way. Throughout COVID and the pandemic that we've seen, a lot of people had to go into quarantine. And a lot of people, even when they were healthy, they were told everything in our country, everything in our city is shut down. You have to isolate yourself so that we'll try to stop spreading this contagious disease. And yes, the disease has been horrible and a lot of people have tragically died from it and continue to do so. But the other aspect of it is that when people are put into isolation and when they're not able to interact with other human beings for a time, as God designed us to be, even if it was a good thing, even if it was necessary for people to be separated because they were sick, what it led to was emotional damage. And we're starting to see a little bit now studies of 2020 and throughout the pandemic that yes, people got sick and went to the hospital, but also people got depressed. People got addicted to alcohol and to drugs and people committed suicide because they were so walled off from the rest of the world and God didn't really intend us to live that way. And that brings about a whole other set of problems. So to these people who had this disease of leprosy, you could be 30 years old and be pronounced a leper and you'd immediately have to go without the camp. You couldn't go home and see your wife. You couldn't hold your child. You couldn't go see your grandparents or your grandchildren or touch them ever again. Because if you did, that disease was so contagious that just by you breathing out, they could get the disease and be condemned to the same fate as you. These men that came to Jesus were desperate men with no hope and no answer and nowhere else to go. Numbers chapter 5 and verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every man who is a leper. This disease then being as horrible as it was and and ruinous as it was, was often associated with sin. And remember that especially in the days of Jesus, they looked at someone having this type of an ailment or illness as a judgment for sin. The same way that Job's friends came to him and they said, your trials are come upon you because your sin is worse than our sin. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Why would God allow these trials on you unless it was for punishment of worse sin than other people's sins? But God said, no, that's not true. Job was allowed to go through this trial even though he was a righteous man and probably the most righteous man in all the earth. 
So, but they, they missed that message from the Old Testament. And remember, they said of the one who was born blind, they said, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? What a ridiculous question. This man was born blind. Was it because he was a sinner? How did he sin in the womb? Well, I don't, maybe they believed in pre, you were predestined to be a sinner or something, and that's why God condemned him. But they were wrong. And Jesus had to straighten out their thinking. And He had to tell them, no, it's not His sin or His parents' sin, but rather for the glory of God. But that type of thinking surely led them to looking at lepers as being someone who is under judgment by God and associated with sin. I'll read you about five verses from Second Chronicles chapter 26. And verse number 17, because here we see an example of God striking someone with leprosy because of their sin, and this perhaps stayed in the thinking of the Israelites, and when they saw someone else have leprosy, they might have thought, well, God probably gave them that because of their sin. Second Chronicles 26 and verse number 17. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king. Eighty priests go in to speak against the king, because he's trying to offer the sacrifices that God said only the priests are supposed to offer. He's going against what the word of God says, so the prophets and priests of the land go to speak against the king. And they withstood him, verse 18, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priest of the sons of Aaron. They're the only ones that are supposed to do it. Verse 19, Then Uzziah was wroth, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense of the altar. The next verse says that they looked upon him and they saw that he was leprous in his forehead and they cast him out because the Lord had smitten him. Verse 21, and Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, meaning like a hospital separated for people who had leprosy, being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord and his son was the king in his stead. So all that to give you sort of a background to say where these people were in life, what they had to go through, and the way that society would have looked at them, and why they were so desperate to come to Jesus. Because they had heard, there is a man who some people say are the Messiah. There is a man who some people say is Isaiah reincarnate, or one of the prophets, and he's healing people who are sick. So no doubt they left wherever they were, and as Jesus was on his way back to Jerusalem from Samaria and Galilee, they intercepted where Jesus was, and they said, here is the man that is called Jesus. Let's go to him and ask him if he can heal us. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Number one, we see the lepers. Number two, we see the Lord. Verse 13, back in Luke 17, in verse number 13. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Our God is a God that is full of mercy. Our God is a God that does not want to condemn people to the lake of fire when they die. He wants to save them. That's why He died for them. He wants to forgive. He wants to have mercy. And no doubt, as Jesus walked this earth, and He saw people who were blind, and He saw people who had leprosy, and He saw people who were dead, and He saw all these physical problems, He knew that He did not create mankind to be this way. But those things were side effects of sin. Adam and Eve did not have 
disease until they chose to disobey God. By one man, sin entered into the world and death upon all people. And this world has a death problem and a disease problem because we have a sin problem and we need Jesus Christ. So the Lord heard them. He had compassion on them, as it says at other places. What was their cry? Their cry was, Master. So let me stop and make a a note here. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Whatever they had heard about Jesus up to this point, these ten men have not yet believed in Him as Messiah and received Him as Lord and Savior. As we'll see, the story bears out in just a moment. That term master, the Greek word there means an appointee over, a commander, a teacher, or a master. So it would be like an official rank or position with some authority. And they recognized and knew there's something different about this man. His name is Jesus, and we're going to call him master to show him respect and recognize that he has a position of authority in some way, but the story bears out in a little bit, they did not yet fully believe or fully receive Him as Messiah or as Savior. But nonetheless, they cried out to Jesus saying, Have mercy upon us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Psalm 145.8 tells us, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. When someone with a sincere, humble, penitent, broken heart looks to God Almighty in prayer and says, Have mercy on me! That is a powerful prayer with God. For the Bible says God in His very nature cannot turn away the cry of the brokenhearted, but a broken and a contrite heart. The Lord will be nigh to you if you will call out to Him and ask Him for mercy. Part of the application of this story and part of the ways I've kind of thought of it before and heard it preached is that we can picture the leprosy as sin and we can picture Jesus healing them as salvation and then the fact that some of them don't come back to say thank you as a way that some Christians, after we've received from God our salvation and what we have, we're not really living up to Him in gratitude as we should and coming back to Him. That's kind of an application, but I do think that the story bears out that at this point in time, they're not really saved, but that's a way that we can think about if the Lord has saved us, are we being like the Christian who does not come back to say thank you or are we coming back to lay our life on the altar before Him as a way to say thank you for what you did for me. Verse number 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. Why? Because it was the priest that had to pronounce you clean and cured from your leprosy so that then you could go back out into society. So it took an act of faith for these men to come to Jesus in the first place and ask for mercy and healing. Then it took an act of faith for them to go to the priest expecting that by the time they got there, they would be healed of their leprosy. When Jesus did his miracles, he always required a step of faith from the people who were receiving the miracle. He went to the man who could not walk, who was crippled, and he said, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. The man could have said, What are you doing? Are you making fun of me? My legs don't work. But by faith, he had to say, Jesus said I can walk, so let me try to get up. And when he did, he saw that the miracle was done. God's promises are conditional most of the time. You want to be saved? You have to call upon the name of the Lord. You want Him to answer your prayer? You have to cry out to Him in prayer. God says, I will do the miracle. It's all of me, not of you. But you have to take the step of faith to do what I tell you to do. And when we do, that's when we see miracles happen in our life. 
Go show yourself to the priest so they obey. And then the verse continues. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Picture the story with the ten of them who have been in this band for I don't know how long, but maybe for years. Maybe there were seven, then eight, then nine, then ten, because when someone else is a leper, they're cast out of society, and they wander till they find another one of these bands of people who have leprosy, and they go with them because they can't go with anybody else. They're desperate, and they come to Jesus asking for mercy, and He says, "'Go show yourself to the priest.'" And the miracles often in the Bible, it it didn't stop with Jesus stopping and saying, there's going to be a miracle now. And the sky turns black and a bunch of lightning and broadcasting it on TV. The miracles simply happened as Jesus willed them to happen. They're walking and all of a sudden one of them maybe looks at himself or maybe looks at the other one. And they said that spot that was always there on your face, I don't see it. Is it on me? Look, where is the leprosy? And as they went, they no doubt broke out into this joyous celebration and this just being beside themselves with the fact that they were healed. And let me just stop and say that the miracles in the Bible were were never just for the sake of a miracle. The Bible says that at the first miracle when Jesus went to the wedding feast and turned the, the water into wine, that Jesus manifested forth His glory. He was showing the world that He was God as He said He was. He was proving that He was the Messiah. So in other words, what I'm saying, the point of the miracle was not just that a hungry person could eat or that a blind man could see, a crippled man could walk, or even that people with leprosy could go home to their family, or even that a dead person could be raised again. It was so that people would look at the miracle that He performed in the sight of many witnesses that could not be denied. So that when He said, I am Messiah, Son of God, Creator of all, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to heaven is me that people would know to take Him seriously. Because we could go this morning and if God would allow us to have our prayers answered and someone with the worst disease on earth could be healed and go home from the hospital, they're still going to die. 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, death comes for us all. And if a person with leprosy is healed from it and then they live 10 more years and die and go to hell forever, that's... Okay, but that's not that great of a miracle. The miracles were to show Jesus was who He said He was, and we better all take Him seriously when He said, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, I'm the only way to heaven. So they're on their way, and this celebration, raucous joy, no doubt what comes to their mind, first of all, is, wow, we got to go to the priest like Jesus said, let's hurry up and get there, because He can write us this letter saying that we're clean, and what's the first thing we're going to do next? It's kind of like coming off of a diet when you imagine where you're going to go eat the first time, and all those things that you're going to do that does away with the diet, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to hug my wife, I'm going to see my child I haven't seen in 10 years, I'm going to go see, I'm going to go do, I'm going to get to to be in my house. What a wonderful miracle. We see the lepers, we see the Lord, but then thirdly, we see the lone returner. Verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan, What did He do? He gave thanks to Jesus Christ. As they go and as their minds, when they see they're healed, goes to their plans and what they want to do and how they're going to benefit from what God gave them. Only one out of the ten. Only one. 
says, you know what, before I go to the priest, before I get medical clearance, before I go hug my family, I think I should turn back and go back to the one who healed me and tell him, thank you, and glorify God for what has happened. It says in verse 15, he glorified God. These other people were calling him master, but he was beginning to get to the place where by faith he was realizing God was in this miracle and that Jesus was God. With a loud voice, he glorified God. Perhaps his lungs had been attacked like people who lose their voice from leprosy. And then for the first time in years, he could with a loud voice cry out and he did it to glorify God and he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he gave him thanks. Before we get into Jesus' response and how he's really more than giving him credit, he's incredulous that nine, the other nine didn't care enough to come back and say thank you. Let's flip over for just a minute to Luke chapter number 7. Luke 7. Notice that it says at the end of that verse that the man was a Samaritan. We won't get too into it for time's sake, but we studied on Wednesday night over the summer the story of the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. And what the Samaritans were, were they were a group of people who were a mixed race. They were partially Jewish, but also partially non-Jewish. And they had sort of a hybrid religion where they received part of the Old Testament, but other parts of it they rejected. They went to worship in the mountain that was different from where the Jews had built the temple. And that was one of the biggest things that split them off. And the Bible says the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But Jesus would deal with them. Jesus went to the woman at the well and loved her and gave her the gospel. And a village of these people got saved because Jesus went to people of a different race who the Jews had animosity with and gave them the gospel. And what a beautiful picture of what we should do. But the Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them more than people who weren't Jew Jewish at all, who didn't have any of the Old Testament or any of their Old Testament religion, because they said, we are the true Jews. We have the true Jewish religion. And the Jews hated that. So there was this animosity. And the Bible just throws in this little nugget that the one who remembered to come back and say thanks was not the one who was just a leper, but he was a Samaritan. And before he ever got leprosy in his life, he had to grow up in a society where people hated him because of his skin color and because of his religion. And this was the one, the Bible just gives us that little side note, that the one who was grateful was the one who had perhaps walked a more difficult path of persecution than the others. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. This is one of the priests who Jesus went to eat in his house. And the woman came and cried for Jesus and anointed his feet with her tears and dried them with his hair. And what the prophets, what the priest said, what Simon said in his heart was, this man, this woman is a sinner. And Jesus, if he knew she was a sinner, wouldn't be associating with her like that. But Jesus knew not only what you were saying, He knew what you were thinking. And Jesus goes on to tell him that if He did not deal with sinners, He would not deal with any of us. Because Simon's sin was just as bad in the eyes of God as the sins of this woman, whether she was a prostitute or whatever it was that gave her that reputation. Our sin is just as bad as any sin. We need the forgiveness of Christ as much as anyone. Verse 41, Jesus said there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, but thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with oil. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Sometimes it's just a fact of life that the one who grows up in church, the one who gets to go to Sunday school since they're a child, the one who never had to live in sin and see the effects of it, gets a little bit callous to what they were forgiven. And sometimes it's just a fact of life that though it would be the will of God that we not walk a difficult path. The one who came from a broken home. The one who lived years in sin. The one who saw the terrible consequences of it. When they are saved, they have a heart that is grateful to God because they knew what the effects of living in sin were. They knew how much they'd been forgiven. Let me just tell you this. I think all of our sin condemns us to hell. And I think the real issue is how much do you think you have been forgiven? How bad do you think your sin was that God forgave you of? Because whether we had a difficult path before salvation or not, we need to be grateful for the fact that Jesus saved us from our sin, which would have condemned us into eternity. So this scripture just notes that the man was a Samaritan. Let's go back to Luke chapter 17 and let's move to wrap this up as we look at the lone returner. Verse 16 says that he came back. He had a loud voice. He glorified God. But then it says this, giving him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking away that disease that if you hadn't have healed me from, would have condemned me to live without the camp for the rest of my life. Thank you that I get to go home and see my family and sleep in my own bed. I'm about to go do all that. I'm about to leave. But first, I just wanted to come back and give God glory and tell you thank you. Remember what we said at the beginning, saying thank you to someone who's done anything for you. But especially what Jesus did for them is only natural. It's decent. It's appropriate. It's a given. It's normal. It's expected. And our life should be lived out realizing we owe a debt of gratitude to God Almighty for saving our souls and for all the good things that we have. We could count our blessings and be here all day. Whatever your situation is this morning, whatever difficulties you may have in life, you've got a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful that I'm here this morning. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for the church of God. I'm thankful. And in all these things, if we, if we didn't have anything to rejoice and thank God for, other than the fact that our names are written in heaven, we have a reason to rejoice for the rest of our life till our dying breath to say, thank you, God, for saving my soul. David said, when I'm in trouble, I shall yet praise the God of my salvation. In spite of my troubles, I will say thank you to God for saving my soul. I had another reference there, and I forgot it, so I'm going to keep moving. I'm almost out of time. I, w I just want to say this morning, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this church. 
I heard a statistic recently, whether it's accurate or not, or a little outdated. They said churches that would be defined as mega churches, meaning over 2,000 people attend every Sunday, are less than one half of one percent of churches in America. In other words, 99.5% of churches are little groups of people just like this. We may look and say, what, what good are we doing? And we only had a few people save this world in the, the, this year and the world needs to be reached. But all over the world, there are groups of 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 300 or more people who gather in the name of Jesus Christ to hear the preaching of His Word. And collectively, as we go forward, people will hear the gospel it will be impacted. I'm thankful for what we have this morning. As we look forward and ask God to give us more, let's not stop and tell him, not forget to stop and tell Him thank you for what He already gave us. Look at Jesus' questions in verse 17. Jesus asked a couple of rhetorical questions. He's not really trying to find out the answer, but He's incredulous. He's a little upset. Verse 17, and Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Why could these people, before they went to get their clearance, before they went to celebrate, before they went to see their family, Jesus said, where are the nine? Why could they not just stop and come back and at least say thank you to me before they continue on? I wonder how many times God looks at our world and the good things He's blessed us with and the few people who do say thank you and I wonder how many times he says, where, where are the nine? Where are the rest? As children of God especially, I wonder how many of us, we come to God when the waters are high, when our hearts are broken, when the trials are overwhelming. It's, we say, God, I've got to have an answer to prayer. And he gives it to us. And then we go right back to what we were doing before. And we forget to have a grateful heart. You see, these people got their healing and then they were done. They got their blessing. They got what they came for. And they selfishly went about their own business, failing to come back and give thanks. They were unthankful. You see, most of the world will accept a social savior. They'll accept someone they can get something from. And there can be a whole lot of people who will say, a general, yeah, I'm grateful to the man upstairs because I've got my job, I've got my family, I've got my health, I've got my hobbies. Oh, I'm grateful for the life I've been given. They'll live what they would consider a good life. But people who are generally thankful, people who lived what they think are a good life, but have never repented of unbelief and sin and turned to Jesus Christ by faith and personally received Him as their Lord and Savior, can still die and go to the lake of fire for all eternity. Only one went back. Verse 18, Jesus said that He was only one that returned to do what? To give glory to God. Verse number 19, And He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. When Jesus spoke to the salvation of someone's soul, He always pointed to their faith, not to their good works. Even the Old Testament tells us that... Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved because we earn it. We're saved because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
1 Corinthians 15 says of those in the Old Testament, if Christ be not risen, then they are dead in vain without hope and they are lost. Even David and Abraham and whoever it was, though they didn't have the gospel in whole like we have it today, they were saved by faith, by believing what God said and placing their faith in Him. And that word whole at the end of verse number 19 is a word in the Greek that means whole, safe, to save, deliver, protect, heal, save, or make whole. 93 times in the King James it's translated save. 18 times it's translated as something to do with healing. But what he's talking about here is not being made whole from the leprosy, for he had already been made whole. But he's literally telling him, your faith has saved you. And he got the greater miracle than any of the rest of them got because His name was written in the Lamb's book of life because He placed His faith in Christ as Messiah. We owe God thanks, not the other way around. I'm out of time and I won't read it, but the first five verses, what Jesus told His disciples was, if you have a servant who works for you and it's expected, He does what you tell Him to do. When He comes in from doing His duties, you don't stop and thank Him and say, oh, take my place and I'll serve you. No, you just expect Him to do that. So when you do what God commands you to do, don't expect great gratitude from Him. Don't expect Him to say, wow, you did your duty. He said, no, even though God does reward us and appreciate us and love us, your attitude should be, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that, which is our duty to do. So what Jesus said in that story was He does not give us thanks. Rather, He then pivots to the story of the miracle where we are to give Him thanks. Because if we will remember that it's not all about us, but it's all about our Savior, and if we are gripped with this truth, then we should live out our days with a grateful heart, giving Him thanks, not just getting from God what we need and what we want and going about our way, but remember first to come back and glorify God and give Him thanks and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. Let's bow for prayer. Miss Rachel will come and play and we'll have a time of prayer this morning. Let's lift up our voices to God and keep in our minds that it's a biblical thing and a command of God the rest of this year, Thanksgiving Day and all the year around to keep a heart of gratitude towards God. May we not be like the nine that don't come back, but may we stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. I owe it all to you. Let's have a time of prayer.